For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Astros baseball podcast. We are continuing the most epic week ever so far. Um, and uh, today our guest is Todd Callis, the one, the only TK. <laughs> How's it going? The show. It's going fantastic. Uh, how is your Friday going? How, good week so far? Good week. I was in Florida most of the week. I actually got to a spring training game on Tuesday. Um, we're not televising live in spring training, so I just want to go to see one in person. But I uh, got back into H-Town Thursday night and ready to roll through spring training here remotely and then get ready for the regular season. Right. So you got to um, – so the game you saw Tuesday, how, how good did that feel to see baseball live again? It was great because we got to see games last year at Minute Maid Park but with no fans. So even though it was limited at Clover Field where the Mets have their spring training home, it was still fans. It, there were still fans in attendance. So uh, it was great to watch with some people around. And unfortunately, that was the day that Fromber took a comebacker off his finger and fractured his finger. At the time, it didn't look bad. But uh, come to find out that it's a little more serious than we originally thought. Okay, so that's all. One of the one of uh, what I wanted to ask you about. Um, so, what do you think that that means for our rotation, and what do you what kind of impact do you think that that will have for the upcoming season? And do you think it might affect postseason odds? I I think absolutely, Michelle. I think the one area of concern for the Astros coming in is what their starting rotation depth was going to look like. Uh, they had the five guys who had experience last year, Frommer being one of them. Uh, and beyond that, they had guys that filled in with some spot starts like a Luis Garcia and a couple of others. But there there really wasn't a ton of experience at the major league level, uh, certainly in the, in the original five that they were going to go with and, and then the guys that were behind them. So losing Fromber is a big deal. Fromber came on last year and was as good as anybody in their rotation and um, saved them numerous times and helped them get to within a game of the World Series. So. Hopefully the initial reports, uh, he's getting a second opinion. I guess the initial reports were not great, but hopefully uh, we get some encouraging news. But if Robert is not able to make starts in the first half of the season, or I've seen the, the possibility that he can miss the whole year, if he's not able to make starts this year, that, that dramatically impacts the Houston Astros' chances to get to the uh, World Series for sure. Now, do you think because... Uh, Fromber is say Fromber does uh, not make any starts, or it looks like he may not make any starts. Do you think that that prompts uh, James Click or uh, Jimothy Click, whatever you would like to refer to him as, uh, Mr. Click? Uh, do you think it impacts him or anybody in the front office's decision on who they uh, would target, possibly free agents? Do you think we'd see another signing if something were to happen to Fromber? 
Yeah, I think it forces the hand a little bit, um, but there's not a lot of guys out there that can be a you know a, an upgrade in the rotation. As we sit here, Jacob Arizzi is still a free agent, and he's a guy that James Click knows from his time with the Tampa Bay Rays. But uh, you know, I I think Odorizzi is probably looking for a three year deal and probably looking for. I don't know, 11 or 12 million a year. And I don't know if the, the Astros are willing to pay that uh, for a starting pitcher. They haven't shown the aptitude to pay a lot of money or give a lot of years for starting pitching in the past. They've given, you know, Verlander a two-year deal, and, and but that was the exception more than the norm. So, yeah, I, I think it forces his hand, but I also don't know if they're going to try and go out there and overspend uh, for a starting pitcher. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, I know you talked about, uh, you just mentioned Jake Odorizzi and him having previous experience with uh, James Click. You also have previous experience with Tampa. You spent uh, quite a while as part of their uh, broadcast team. uh, What was was your time with Tampa like? What uh, what kind of relationship did you get to build with the city and with the fans? I still have a house there. My wife and I go back there occasionally. So we have most of our adult friends... (laughs) You know, for 20 years, we're in Tampa because we were living there. Um, I love it there. I, I love the organization. I love the team uh, concept that they have. I love the looseness that they go about things. Uh, and I love the city. It's a, it's a great area to live. Having said that, we've now moved to Houston. We're here 11 of the 12 months, maybe a little more than that of the year when we're not traveling. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've really grown to, to enjoy Houston a lot. But we still get back to Tampa when we can. The Rays were a cool organization. They were always on the cutting edge. They always looked at things with a little different scope. And I was I was very appreciative to be able to get to be with them from the very start in 1998 all the way through my last year with them in 2016. We saw the really bad years for the first 10 years. They changed the name from Devil Rays to Rays, and then they became instantly very good, kind of ironically. Uh, they made the playoffs four out of six years and won 90 games five of those six years after they changed the name. Uh, And lately, they've had some success, too, obviously, based on last year, uh, able to get to the World Series. So I still have very good friends in the organization. I still get back to the area. I love that area. But uh, Houston is my home, and uh, I still have a chance to to go back to Tampa Bay whenever I can. Speaking of World Series, so you uh, got – so. on December 22nd, 2016, that's when you signed with or you got the job with Houston, correct? That is right, yeah. And um, so your first season was the uh, World Series season. Uh, what was the journey like and what kind of uh, – that must have been just a roller coaster. Do you want to walk us through your uh, – walk me through your experience? Because I'm just curious. I would love to be – would love to have been a fly on the wall in the broadcast booth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not many people drop into a situation as good as I did my first year broadcasting. It would be very rare for somebody to drop into a hundred win team and get a, a world series ring their very first year doing play by play for an organization. Uh, I joke with Brownie all the time. I thank him for retiring when he did, but I also very, very respectful and admire the fact that he went out on top. A lot of guys, you know, try and stay in the broadcasting game as long as they can. And Brownie probably could have gone another five years if he wanted to, but he just decided he want, he wanted to take some time and do other things in his life and travel and visit his grandkids and, uh, I respect the heck out of him for doing that. At the same time, I also appreciate 
Uh, he knew it was going to be a good team when he left. I don't know if he realized they were going to win the World Series the very next year. But I had a, a World Series winner, and then I had the team that won 107 games the next year. And the first three years, they won all of they, – they actually, 107 games in 2019. They won 101, 103, and 107 games in those uh, three years. So I, I, I jumped into a team that was ready to roll. So I had so many highlights to call and so many great moments to call. Um, it was just a blessing. I, I don't think any announcer has ever started their career with a new team and had three 100 win seasons. If that's happened, uh, it's never, it, it, it hasn't uh, been brought to my attention because I think I was the first. So it's kind of crazy how fortunate I was. Um, what was it, what has it been like getting to work with, uh, Bummer and, uh, with Julia, you know, that, that must've been good to, uh, did you slot in well off the bat or was there a kind of a growing period to kind of establish chemistry? I think there's always a growing period, but ours was pretty short lived. Um, I knew Blummer from his time as a baseball player with the then Devil Rays. Uh, he actually, ironically enough, sat in the row behind me on the charters. And so I got to know him a little bit then when he was a player. And then we've kind of said hi and, and acknowledge each other a, a few times and talk briefly whenever the Astros played the Rays in the past. So I've gotten to know him well, and I've always known Julia uh, since she started with the Astros because we were at that point doing the same roles. I was doing play, uh, I was doing pre and post game shows and then in game reporting. Uh, she did mostly in game reporting, but then she also would fill in on pre and post game shows. So I got to know her uh, during her time with the Astros when I was still with the Rays. And then I remember when I got the job, Julia was one of the first people to call me and congratulate me. And she said, Hey, one thing about our broadcast is we like to have fun. And that's right in my alley. That's, <laughs> that's my wheelhouse. Like I, I, for 162 games, if you're not having fun doing baseball broadcasting, then you really shouldn't be in the business because it's not surgery. It's not uh, life and death. It's just entertainment at the end of the day. And sure, you want your team to win. You don't want to see your team lose a series. You don't want your team to have a below 500 season. You don't want your team to have a hundred loss season. And those seasons are a little more trying, certainly, than what we dealt with uh, for our first four years. But we've uh, we've we've quickly uh, come together, and and you know we do a lot of things off the air as well as on the air. And I think over the course of 162 games, you can't really fake uh, whether you like the people you work with or not. Unfortunately, uh, we all have gotten together uh, remarkably well, and I'm just very blessed to be part of that trio. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rob and I joked because uh, when we did our first uh, episode together, we joked about how uh, we want to we want to do something like you guys do Astros After Dark, uh, Astros Baseball Podcast, Astros After Dark Edition. And we st I, we talked to uh, both uh, Julia and uh, Jeff about Ashes after dark and they both said to ask about some of the what are some of the ideas that you've pitched to your producers or um and what are uh that got shot down and what are some of your favorite moments that you've gotten to or bits you've gotten to do on Astros after dark well I love that because we kind of uh had a similar thing going on with Tampa Bay um it wasn't called Astros after dark but it was late night with the Rays and it was the same concept and we would kind of loosen things up once we got to a certain hour in the broadcast uh and now that you know, I'm here in Houston and we play a lot of our games uh, in California, whether it's against the A's or the Angels and in, in Washington against the Mariners in Seattle. Uh, we do get a lot of late night broadcasts. And so, so 
you know, when it usually turns around midnight central time, that's usually the bewitching hour <laughs> for us to just kind of like uh, ease off uh, the seriousness uh, gas pedal a little bit and just kind of uh, ramp up our fun loving uh, nature. So yeah, we've, uh, we've done a lot of cool things and it hasn't always been driven by us. A lot of times our producer, Carl Patterson will, will jump in the fray and he's had Blummer go out, you know, leave the booth and go out to uh, various points uh, in Oakland and, uh, entertain the crowd that way. I think one of my favorite moments was it was a blowout. I think it might have been Oakland, but don't quote me on that. It could have been Anaheim, but it was a blowout game and it was late and the game was going nowhere. We already, uh, I think the Astros were down big and we already knew what the outcome was going to be. And we just kind of, it happened to coincide with National Joke Day. And the reason that we knew that was because on the bus ride over, Steve Sparks, the radio color analyst, who always. <laughs> Always has jokes. Wanted to make sure on National Joke Day he gave us some of his favorites. So we kind of knew it because of Sparky. Um, so game was out of hand, and then we decided to have fun with National Joke Day. And I think I told everybody who had an Alexa um, that if you don't want to participate in the upcoming experiment, to make sure you turn your volume on your TV down. And basically, we asked people, or we asked Alexa through the TV audio uh, to tell us a joke. And then we asked people to type in what the joke was through um, social media and share them with us. So that was kind of cool. It was a little, it, we all try to be kind of interactive with our fans. And I think we're, Blummer does a great job in game of being interactive. I can't quite uh, maintain that back and forth that he does during the game. But um, I think we try and get even more interactive once we get to late or once we get to Astros after dark. So that was one of the moments that, that jumps into mind. But it's just, it's more of a looser broadcast and kind of, uh, whatever goes, goes. We did, you know, we had the, the thing in Seattle. Uh, I just remember that we, we hasn't, we haven't talked about in a while, but the grasshopper night in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> where, yeah. and, and one reason why Julia is, is, is the best at what she does is she always does whatever's best for the broadcast. And the last thing she wanted to do was eat a grasshopper in the history of her life. She, I don't think she ever would imagine she was going to do this, let alone do it on TV. And so she did it. And it became like a rallying cry um, for the Astros because they came back to win that game and they ended up going on a huge run in 2017 right after that. So uh, those are just kind of some of the ideas that we've done. And I'm sure and I'm sure fans can can uh, endorse their favorite moments. But I, I think those are two that stand out for me. I think uh, one of the. Uh, so I don't remember which season it was or what. Like it was like 18 or 19 or maybe 20 where you guys actually had like a graphic that like, like some like lounge music that popped up as said Astros after dark. Uh, I don't remember who we were playing. It might've been Seattle, but goodness, you guys are such a delight to watch. Like, honestly, I spoke with, I mean, cause being an Astros fan, it goes back generations for me, you know, my great grandpa, my grandpa, my dad, and now me. And he said, you know, you guys are probably his favorite, uh, broadcast trio for the Astros that he's seen um, and I know that your dad uh, is a quite a famed uh, sports broadcaster um, did he help shape your love of baseball at all yeah absolutely I mean I got to watch what he did for a living every day and how much he enjoyed going to the ballpark and um, you know I was the kid that was always in the stands keeping score watching the game with my mom and my brother and uh, on Sunday afternoons, when I got a little bit older, I would go up in the booth and 
help them out with the out-of-town scoreboard. Back then, they didn't have all the scores coming across on the internet like you do now. You actually had to transcribe what was happening via ticker onto a, a sheet with all the scores from the other games. So I, I was kind of in charge of that from like age, I don't know, 12 or 13 all the way through high school. So that was pretty cool. And, and the whole time I was there, the whole time growing up, because I was keeping score and doing that stuff in the booth, everybody's like, Ah, oh, it's obvious Todd's going to grow up and be just like his dad. And I, and I honestly didn't know at that point in my life. I always did better in my aptitude tests in school at math than I did in uh, in English or in science. I was always a, a math guy first. And so I was like, oh, maybe, you know, that's the direction I will take my life. But I didn't know. So I kind of changed majors a lot my first year. And then I got into Syracuse and kind of focused on broadcasting then and Went in there with a dual degree, thinking if it didn't work out, I could always fall back on my second degree. But fortunately, it worked out. And all my dad's influences and, and uh, watching how much he loved doing what he did for a living uh, influenced me to, to eventually get into the business. And I'm glad I did. So you, says, um, you said he had a heavy influence. Did he have an influence on... Um... I know that you guys got to work together for a little bit. How meaningful was that to you it must have been an indescribable experience yeah I'll never top that I mean I've been in the game for almost 30 years now at the major league level and I'll never top that moment that was the coolest thing ever um so back in 2008 uh the Phillies were playing the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series and the Rays were playing the Red Sox in the in the American League Championship Series and the Rays were up three to one on Boston in their series, and the Phillies were uh, doing taking the lead against the Dodgers and would eventually win the NLCS. But then the Rays lost Game Five in Boston after leading by seven runs with seven outs to go. It's a devastating game to lose. So they lost Game Five. They go back to Tampa Bay. Um, the Red Sox win Game Six, and at this point, the Phillies already knew they were in the World Series, and I knew. You know, dad was getting a little later in his career, and I knew this was possibly the, the one chance we had to make something like this ha happen. So game seven of the ALCS was the most tense, nervous, excited I've been for any game in my life because I knew if the Rays won, not only would it be a great moment for the team I was working for, but it would mean that dad and I would get to uh, enjoy the World Series together. So the Rays won that. Um, we cherished every moment of that World Series. We went to lunch whenever we could together. We Got to do an inning of game one in the broadcast booth together at Tropicana Field, which is what you referred to and something I will always cherish. And uh, at the end of the day, he get his team beat my team uh, four games to one. The Phillies beat the Rays four games to one. And I sent him a little congratulations. I, I gave him a send him, I couldn't find him after after they won the World Series. He was down on the field celebrating with his Phillies people. And I had to catch a flight back to Florida. But I left him a note congratulating him and said, you know, how much I was, how much he deserved it and how proud I was of him. And uh, he finally got a chance to call a World Series winner, which he hadn't been able to do, uh, even though the Phillies won in 1980. He wasn't able to call the games back then. So he was calling, he called a World Series winner. I told him how proud I was and that he deserved it. And then as it turns out, that was his last year. He passed away the following April. Uh, so it's just, it was almost like it was meant to be that we got to share that World Series together. Uh, that's, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Pardon me for getting a little choked up. That's such a good story. Um, when uh, you saw it, so you said that you you know got to go up in the broadcast booth with him from like age twelve when you were doing the, uh, keeping the score. Did you uh, 
did you observe how he prepped for, you know, each season and, and kind of what resources he pulled for to prep for each season? Um, and does that influence how you prep today? Like, what is your process for prepping for the season? And prior to each game, what resources do you use? Yeah, it's a completely different ball game now. A lot of the stuff Dad did, he kept in notebooks, which is now readily available on the internet. And one of the things he did, I remember, was to keep uh, the pitcher versus hitter um, matchups relevant, not only for that year, but for past years. So he would log in, um, you know, each pitcher for each team and what they did against each Phillies hitter and vice versa for Phillies pitchers against different hitters around the league. And so now that that's all available on the internet so i don't have to keep any of that stuff um but he yeah he was always very much into the prep work like he was he is always overly prepared and that's something that definitely rubbed off on me um i go to different sources right now uh baseball perspectives perspectives baseball reference uh baseball savant um probably some others that i'm forgetting right now but there's there's i mean there's a wide array of sources you can go to for information and i try and uh keep up to date especially with what's going on with the teams within our division and try and keep track of you know what the changes that they're making as the season progresses the whole uh story is basically a 162 game reality show that you're living through for every team and and the more you know the teams you're playing especially the teams you face a lot in the al west uh the better off you are so um you know you, you could there's so much information out there you could almost prepare for 24 hours from the end of one game to the beginning of the next and still have sources that you haven't checked out so you have to kind of streamline what's important and what's not and um i've, I've kind of learned how to do that here in the last few years but it's still uh it's a labor of love. Like I love getting ready for games, even though it can seem monotonous at times, but you, it, it's what makes a broadcast sing when you have a, uh, the ability to just to have the reference of information at your fingertips, as opposed to having to scramble for it while the game's going on. Yeah. What are some of the, um, so when you say you study teams within the division, what are your thoughts on the, uh, Astros and their ability to win the division this year? I still think they're the favorite, even with the Framber Valdez injury. I think the A's certainly are the team to beat coming off of the, the division title last year, but um, not sure that they are as good as they were in 2020. I think the Angels will probably be improved. I think the Mariners will probably be improved. I think the Rangers uh, may need another, another year or two before they improve. So yeah, I'd say right now, if you were looking at the division, and I can say this not just because I work for the Astros, but just uh, saying it without bias, I really think they would still be the team to beat. Now, what we talked about earlier about their lack of starting pitching depth is the one area that could be of a concern because uh, coming off a 60-game schedule last year, a lot of teams are going to struggle to reach that threshold of getting all the innings they need for 162 games without wearing out their staff. So. I think the lack of starting pitching is certainly an area uh, that the Astros, if they were honest with themselves going into the season, would be the biggest concern. And so uh, I know that occasionally you guys do have uh, guests in the broadcast booth. Who are some of your favorite guests to have on? I like a variety. I don't mind. I mean, as long as it's not every series that we have a guest, I think, you know, you can overdo it, but, 
Um, I really don't mind when the guests come in the booth. I remember we had Neil Armstrong's son on when uh, they they were honoring Apollo 11, and it was the anniversary of Apollo 11, and then the Astros scored 11 runs in the inning when his son was in the booth, which is crazy. I think it was Rick Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, Rick Armstrong's in the booth for Apollo 11. I had the Astros score 11 runs. Like, you can't even – you can't script that stuff. Nobody – you never score 11 runs, so it was meant to happen. Um We've had cool guests throughout, you know, the course of the years. I, I'd have to think back other than him. We, we've all the Astros, former Astros, and Julia does a lot of the interviews, but occasionally we get them in the booth. I mean, whenever we get to talk to Nolan Ryan, he was always a, a treat. I, I know uh, all the games that we do, which is once a month with Jeff Bagwell, are received very well. <laughs> yeah. Just mentioning Baggy, you start to laugh, right? I mean, he's he's, <laughs> he's hilarious. He's so purely entertaining and he and Blummer, those are the games that I probably get the least amount of my material in, which is fine because I don't, I'm just kind of a, a, like you said earlier, a fly on the wall. I'm just kind of sitting back and letting those guys banter and reminisce just like they were back in the clubhouse together. And those are some of the, the most well-received broadcasts we have. So I'll set up a couple of things here and there and I'll just, I'll just let them go. And those, um, so bag is one of my favorite guests too, but Enos Cabell, Nolan Ryan, uh, Rick Armstrong, we, we've had a lot of different people on through the years and, uh, they've all been very entertaining. Um, so with your, uh, lengthy career in broadcasting, what are some of the more monumental moments that you've had? Some of the more emotional moments that you've had? Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, going back to that 2008 season with the Rays, they had never won anything. They had never won more than 70 games in their first 10 seasons. So for them to finally get over the hump and win a division and then get to the World Series all in one year after never being a contender in any form was the most remarkable season I've ever been a part of uh, in terms of a surprise. Uh, and that also dovetailed into the most emotional moment, which was trying to um, – you know, knowing that my dad and I were going to get to broadcast or going to be on the same opposite teams in the same World Series in 08. So that game seven of of the ALCS when the Astros beat the Red Sox and wrapped it up, it was the most emotional I've ever been after a baseball game, just knowing that, that we were going to get to share in the World Series together. Uh, but in more recent memories, just the, the whole run from 17 through 19 with the Astros was so amazing. The 100-win season... The 19 team was so remarkably talented that I will never forget um, how good that team was. It would probably be the best team I've ever been associated with, even though they didn't win the World Series. They were just so good all year long. It was a treasure and a treat, a uh, pleasure and a treat to be associated with that team. So those are some of the cool memories. I got to call a few no-hitters along the way, and that's pretty cool, including Justin Verlander, his third and the second one over in Toronto. I got to call. Uh, the no-hitter when Aaron Sanchez made his debut and Joe D- Biagini made his after <laughs> debut, which was, when, which was nuts. I've been on the wrong side of a lot of no-hitters, too, in perfect games, so I've probably seen mo- more perfect games than most broadcasters. Um, but yeah, it's just so many cool memories over the years, but uh, those stand out a lot, and especially because the first 15 years, my first two years, or my two years in New York, which were my first two years in the major leagues, my three years in Philadelphia and then the first 10 years with Tampa Bay were not very good years for any of those teams. So uh, to have some success lately has been really cool. 
what has your uh, experience been with opposing fan bases? What are, um, obviously we know that the Astros fans are the best fans, um, minus the Rays fans. Uh, who are your favorite opposing fans to deal with and who are your least favorite to deal with? <laughs> Wow, that's a good one. Well, so I used to when I told when I told you earlier, I used to do what Julia does. I used to, I didn't have like a set spot like Julia does near the dugout for home and away games. I would pretty much anchor in, in the press box, but I would float throughout the stadium. So I was bouncing around to different parts of the stadium to do my reports from, as opposed to a steady location where Julia does her uh, reports from. So. I was out and about with all the Red Sox fans and Yankees fans back when Tampa Bay was really bad. And, it, you know, for a few years there, we had our logo on the mic flag. So there was no disguising what you weren't. You couldn't pretend like you were with one of the local affiliates in Boston and in New York. You were obviously stood out as a double raised reporter. So they would crush me back in the day. So, you know, I was never very fond of Yankees and Red Sox fans over the years. But we found a, a kind of a, a mutual respect for each other after Tampa Bay got better and started to beat up on them a little bit. Um, but some of my favorite fans around the league, I think St. Louis has remarkable fans. I think they appreciate uh, good plays by the opposition as much as anybody. And there's kind of a Midwest kindness about them that you don't find in maybe the New York and Boston crowd. Um, <laughs> I, I really like the Seattle fans. I think part of the reason I like the Seattle fans is because I really love that stadium a lot. Uh, Seattle hasn't been very good for a while and they've, you know, and when they do become good, it'll be fun to see what kind of uh, reaction they get from that fan base because they're starving for a winner. Um, Oakland fans are unique because they are, to me, the most uh, resilient and 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 kind of eccentric fans in the league. Uh, they'll be out there tailgating whether it's in the forty or fifty degree range. They don't care. They just <laughs> go out there and have a good time and. Um, Oakland has been pretty good lately, but there were years where they weren't very good and they were still showing up there and banging on the drums and basically making a party out of it. So, um, they're a pretty cool fan base as well. I mean, those are just some of them that, uh, come to the top of my mind, but, um, yeah, I just, I enjoy and, and I miss a lot going through, um, the last couple of years. Hopefully it changes as the year goes along this year, but if it doesn't, I'll, I'll miss a lot going around to the different cities and seeing different stadiums and enjoying uh, how unique the different fan bases are. What are some of your uh, favorite, um, aside from, of course, Minute Maid Park, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, stadiums to see or what are some of the better ballparks you've seen? Yeah, even before I got here to Houston, Minute Maid was one of my favorites. So I, I can say that not as an Astros broadcaster, but even when I was in Tampa Bay. <laughs> No, Minute Maid was always in my top three. I think Safeco was in my top three. Um, now, if it was American League only, then I like those two. And then I think Target Field would be somewhere in my top three. I haven't seen the new Rangers ballpark, so I don't know what that's like. Um, but I always loved in the National League going to San Diego. Petco Park is amazing. I always thought Arizona was underrated. I like going to Arizona. Colorado is really cool because you can walk right from downtown and Denver's a great city. Um, you know, and then you have the the great traditional ones like Fenway and Wrigley. And between those two, I, I, I lean towards Wrigley just because, um, I grew up as a National League fan and Wrigley also kind of had a certain mystique about it. And I still think it does. And Wrigleyville is about as much fun as you can have near a ballpark as any stadium in America. 
So those, uh, those are some of my favorites. I think I'm probably leaving out a few. I think Baltimore has held up really well over the years. I think Kansas City has held up really well over the years. Um, yeah, those are probably a few of my favorites, though. What is uh, some of the best food you've gotten to have at a ballpark? Seattle has some good sushi. Um, let's see. The best media dining, which isn't accessible for the fans, but the best, best media dining right now, which probably is also the most expensive, is at Yankee Stadium. Um, but around the ballparks, let's see. Um, I mean, Texas has those huge portions of stuff like you can get huge everything everything's bigger in texas so they have these massive size portions of things i guess that's kind of unique um where else has good food uh i mean i i i don't go around the concourse levels as much now as i used to but i assume yankee stadium has really good food there just based on what their media dining is um yeah, I, I can't think of many other food items that stand out. That might be a better question for Julia because I've kind of been four years removed from uh, roaming the stands and concession areas, but I used to probably have a lot more favorites that I can't think about right off the cuff. I think she said that her favorite was the uh, burger, breakfast burger in Pittsburgh because the bun itself was a Krispy Kreme donut and it had like a fried <laughs> egg on it. <laughs> that's awesome I, I remember she told us about that i remember reading about that burger and deciding oh my gosh i have to get there that's yeah that's pretty cool i forgot about that that's really cool and um, what has um have you been able to uh what explain your time in houston what kind of relationship have you been able to build with the fans and the community it's been pretty cool i mean i um Lived here four years now, coming up on four years in a few weeks. We moved here in the late part of March in 2017. So it's been almost four years. And Astros fans have been incredible because, you know, coming in, I'm replacing Bill Brown, who is just a legend. And uh, big shoes to fill, right? And who's this guy coming in from Tampa Bay? How come he's never done play-by-play before? He's been in the Rays organization for 19 years. Why didn't he get a job with anybody else? I'd, and rightfully so, I'd be wondering the same things. I mean, truth of the matter is, I really liked it so much in Tampa Bay that it took a, a perfect opportunity for me to come and, and leave that area. And Houston happened to be that perfect opportunity. But having said that, they didn't have to welcome me the way they have. And they've been so positive. And, you know, social media can be such an interesting dynamic for positivity and negativity. It can go either way. And, and I've been very blessed to have a lot of positive feedback on there. You're not going to please 100% of the viewers 100% of the time, but I think between you know Blummer, Julie, and myself, we've, we've found a, a nice niche uh, uh, broadcast style that works for most people, and uh, I'm just so happy to be here. I love the community. It's a great area. I love the diversity here in Houston of people. Uh, I didn't have that any other place where I've lived where there's so many different cultures and ethnicities and uh, people of different backgrounds that you really learn a lot about people. And uh, I've also never been in a city that has better restaurants. So all the above reasons, I, I really have enjoyed my time here. I speak from just personally, personally, thoroughly enjoy having you here. Some of my fa- like some of my favorite moments have come from hearing and seeing you call games. It's just been an absolute delight as a viewer to see and hear. Um, 
what uh, do you think? Do you think you'll see a return of fans back to the ballparks? And light of the fact that restrictions have been lifted in Texas, um, what and what was? What are some of the challenges you faced last year when uh, trying to broadcast in the age of COVID? Yeah, I definitely think there'll be fans, especially in the state of Texas, like you said, with Governor Abbott um, lifting the mandates on masks for everybody on March the 10th and, and saying that you can have 100% capacity of restaurants and bars and, and retail outlets. Um, I don't know how, how many people were going to get in initially. I think they were first looking at 20 to 25%. That may have increased based on, you know, the new uh, rules in Texas. I don't know. But I think as the season goes along, there's a good chance that we will get more and more fans in the stands. And going back to last year, the challenges were simply there was not any energy coming from the crowd. There was not that. There, there's an organic uh, pacing of a game and a, and a feel based on how the crowd reacts. And all that was missing. Um, a lot of times I would call a big moment in the past and, make the call, get out of the way, let the fans go nuts, and then Blummer would comment on what just happened. And this past year, you find yourself kind of carrying the call a little bit further because there really is no crowd reaction. And it was more like a collegiate baseball game where you're hearing the players react and you're not hearing much else. So that was a big challenge. And, the, the, you know, you, you get ramped up for a game and there's certain buzz getting ready for that first pitch, which builds uh, at a normal game based on the crowd being there. And there just wasn't that same buzz. So... Uh, once you put the headsets on and the game started, it was kind of business as usual, but it was hard not to notice that there was a, a little bit of enthusiasm lacking. And I'm definitely excited to have fans back at Minute Maid, especially Astros fans who go nuts for their team. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm going to be try to be as many of them as possible this season. Uh, what do you think, uh, what kind of impact do you think that uh, at the team and yourself and the fans will see from opposing fan bases, considering this is going to be the first season uh, after this, uh, that fans are allowed in the stands after the fallout from the scandal. And what has the fallout from the scandal been like for you? Yeah, it hasn't been fun. I mean, like anybody else having to deal with it, 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 it just, you're answering a lot of questions for something that you really weren't a part of. I didn't know anything about it until afterwards. Thankfully, I, I I'm glad I didn't know about it at the time, but uh, I think the reaction from fans is going to be muted based on what the reaction would have been in 2020, in 2020, but it's still going to be there. I mean, you're still going to have Dodgers fans and Red Sox fans and Yankees fans, Indians fans that are going to feel like, hey, they got slighted. Uh, they sh- the Astros you know, shouldn't have been the world champions in 2017. Uh, the reality is there's no way to know whether they would or wouldn't have been. Uh, the champions without this scandal, I, I personally think they would have, but there's no way to prove that. So yeah, there'll be fans that will forever feel slighted and will forever feel like the Astros don't deserve to have that uh, world championship. So they will continue to wear it. Um, there's fewer Astros now in play, especially with George being gone. There, you still have Altuve. It's the whole infield, but uh, other than that, you don't have a lot of guys that were around here uh, when they won it in 2017. But I'm sure those guys will still hear it from the fans this year. Uh, they'll probably hear it at some points for the rest of their careers, but it'll get less and less every season, and it won't be as bad this year as it would have been last year. You mentioned uh, the some of the players. Are there any players that you've been uh, 
like some players versus others? Are there any players uh, that you have been able to form like good relationships with, or maybe you've uh, gotten closer to some players than others? Yeah, I think that's kind of natural. Um, just happens, and I think it's easier when we travel to get closer to players. I think that's where you kind of make your bonds on flights and team charters, um, hotels, staying at the same team hotel, riding the bus back and forth to the stadium. Kind of get to know the guys that way, and so. That's been missing a lot from 2020 and at least uh, possibly through 2021. Like I said, we'll find out as the season goes along. But, yeah, there's naturally, just like any other business that people work in, you're not going to get along with every employee that you deal with the exact same way. There's going to be some people you're closer to. There's going to be other people you acknowledge, but you don't really know that well or you're not as close to. So, yeah, that happens in baseball as well. I do try and keep a little bit of a – a professional distance between hanging out with guys socially and then just talking to them as broadcaster to player. I know a lot of personal stuff about them and we can sometimes get into personal stuff, but I rarely, if ever, and it, you know, will ever be out uh, for a cocktail with those guys uh, who play just because I, I think there's a line that needs to be separated between the media and the players. If it happens where, you know, I'm at the hotel bar, which I hardly ever do, and a player happens to be there, so be it. But um, more than likely, it's it's not going to be me and uh, Correa or me and Tuve hanging out afterwards. But I do really enjoy both of those guys and really respect their their independent uh, freedom away from the game. So I let them have their space. But when it comes to baseball stuff, they've been great in sharing insights with me. So other people, they're they're not the only two. I mean, Correa and Tuve have been great. Breggy is his own. You know, PR machine. I, I love that guy. Yuli is Yuli is as entertaining as it comes. I, I think his English is getting better every year, and I love that. Um, McCullers is great. He seems to be an open book whenever you need to talk to him. And a lot of other guys are really good with the media too. So, the guys that have been around the longest have been very, very good to us. Now, you mentioned uh, Yuli. Uh... And uh, you mentioned those guys. What are some of, um, what is the best, what, what would you say, and this is just not even Astros rotation, but what is the best rotation that you think you, on the team that you've had the privilege of watching in action? Had to be the 19 team, even though they lost Keuchel and Morton going in 19. I mean, it could have been the 18 team too, but um, the 19 team was so darn good because the 19 team got cranky. So, when you have Verlander and Cole and Greinke uh, as your top three, I mean that's that's really hard to beat. So, um, I mean there there's so many good rotations, but that trio, you know, they they all could be Hall of Famers. I mean Justin already is. Greinke is getting close, and depending on what Garrett Cole does with the Yankees the rest of his career, he could certainly be a Hall of Famer. There's not many rotations where you could say there were three Hall of Famers back to back to back. So. Uh, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to say the 19 squad. 19 squad. Well, I know that we are approaching the 45 minute mark, and I definitely want to respect uh, your time today. Um, if uh, just I just had a few just fun questions. Yeah, go ahead. For we're, you. Good. we're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are some of your hobbies outside of broadcasting? I really enjoy playing golf. I really enjoy traveling. Uh, my wife and I do a lot of traveling in the off season um, and the golf and the traveling a lot of times go hand in hand. 
Um, when I used to live in Florida, I used to be into more water sports and boating and that stuff. And don't do that quite as much as in, in Houston as we used to. Um, what else? Uh, just enjoying hiking, you know, outdoors, whenever I can be outdoors, I'm a warm weather freak, even though I grew up in Philadelphia and spent my college years in Syracuse. I love warm weather. So the more time I can spend outside, the better. So I love when it starts to warm up. I'm glad we got we all got through the winter storm okay. And I'm looking forward to spending more time outside. Oh yeah. Uh, how um how are you guys how were you guys during the winter storm? Was everything okay? Are you guys good now? We're not quite back yet. We still have some broken pipes that need to be repaired. We're kind of waiting uh, for that to happen. But uh, we took a little bit of a hit. We had a bathroom in our downstairs area that uh, got a little flooded that we had to knock some walls down and stop the water from that uh, area. And then we had most of the pipes that burst were outside. We have a little older home. So, um, yeah, we took we took it on the chin like a lot of people in Houston, maybe not as bad as some others, but uh, we, we definitely suffered some damage. I'm glad to hear that you guys are on the men now. Uh, speaking of golf, I, so maybe my research is incorrect, but correct me if I'm, you're a world amateur, uh, you're part of the World Amateur Golfers Championship? I did enter a couple of events with those guys, yes. So we played, uh, I think I've been in two of their tournaments so far. That's awesome. Do you have any... Um, like any psych, psych up music or like favorite artists that you listen to when you're getting ready? You're like, all right, I'm going to Minute Maid Park and this is my psych up playlist. <laughs> um, I'm usually like my whole life. I've been a huge fan of like old school hip hop and rap. So I'm usually like hanging on Sirius XM channel 47 or in that range, like 45 to 47. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my jam. Like the whole, uh, if we go on Pandora, I'll, I'll, I'll key in Biggie as my key, and they'll they'll play songs off of that. So that's kind of what I what I listen to more than anything else. I do have a lot of eclectic taste, so I like a lot of different types of music. But uh, if you if you pin me down to what my favorite is, it would it would definitely be that genre. That's awesome. Have you gotten the the privilege to meet anybody in Houston like uh, Bundy or Paul Wall or any of them? Yeah, I did meet um, those guys, and uh, that was pretty cool. I don't really know them well, but I've gotten to meet those people through those two through different events that the Astros have had. Um, yeah, that was pretty awesome. I know Julia's got a grill, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> she does. I'm not quite as locked in as she is, but uh, yeah, those. I mean, Houston has some great artists, and those are two of the best. That is amazing. Julia has a grill. That is awesome. Um, okay, well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I greatly appreciate you coming on and giving us your time. Um, I hope you have a fantastic season. And uh, before we go, I just want to remind everyone to keep sending in your entries to Astros Baseball Podcast at gmail.com. You can, you're entered in to win a Ram shirt a shirt that says let's go and a dugout mug, a custom dugout mug. You'd be the only one with this one. That's cool. Right. I mean, it's like $75 value. So enter the, uh, send us an email with the phrase, let's go to Astros baseball podcast at gmail.com. And Todd, where can they find you on Twitter? 
I'm at Real Todd Callis. I had to change my Twitter handle because I was Tampa Bay TK, and then I got the Astros job, so I had a little poll on Twitter. And Real Todd Callis won out, so that's where I am. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the most epic week of Astros baseball podcast so far. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.